A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Delicious Magazine's March podcast. I'm Julie Smith, and this month we meet the new Great British Menu judge, Andy Oliver, and take a sneak peek through the window of her brand new restaurant. Radio 2's food man, Nigel Barton, tracks down Michelle Rue Jr. on board a Norwegian trawler. And Instagrammer Felicity Spector talks pies. We get a double hit of nostalgia food with Bonner at the set in Brighton and cake boy himself, Eric Lannar. And we hear more inspiring food stories to change the world from our delicious readers. But first to Andy Oliver, who takes over Prue Leith's Pinny on the great British menu this autumn. And she opens her new restaurant, Andy's, in London's Stoke Newington Church Street this month. I popped down to peek through the window with her. found her just a bit excited. I have been given the best job in the world. Let's not put too fine a point on it. There's no way I could afford to eat all that food. Uh, I could, I mean, I am I'm beyond thrilled to be given this job. It's like, I... I was actually speechless when I had the lunch and they said to me, it was quite funny really because they said, um, so, you know, would you be interested in the position? It was one of those, in my brain I'm going, oh my God, yes! And I was like, well, I'll see if I'm, I'll see if I'm free. <laughs> I tried to play it really cool and actually I was losing my mind with excitement because, I mean, who gets that? opportunity do you know what I mean Prue Leith is somebody that I have so much respect for she's an extraordinary woman and what she's done in the food industry is incredible she trained half the food industry so you know to step into her shoes I was terrified at the beginning I was a bit like oh my god and then I got there and I have to say Oliver and Matthew have been so sweet after two days I felt like I'd been doing it my whole life we've had the best rapport they were incredibly supportive because it's not just them, the show itself is an iconic thing. It's been there for 10 years. So to walk into something like that is a little daunting. Have you learnt much? Are you cooking differently? No, I don't think I'm cooking differently. I think I'm eating differently, for sure. <laughs> oh, you know what I might have learnt, actually? is a bit more about how restraint can be very beautiful. Um, because restraint's not my way. It's, it's not way. my way, shall we say, naturally. But it can be very interesting on the plate. So when the new restaurant opens, what, the end of February? Uh, beginning of March now, yeah. Of course, it's gone back a week. Yeah. But yes, yeah, about 6th of March. What will you take into that, the, the new restaurant? I'm taking my heart and my soul into it. And, and I'm taking all the love and kindness that I can find into it. We've got a beautiful team. I work with a chef called Gary Tunstall, who came to us a year ago. And I couldn't have found a better kitchen partner. I'm taking all the stuff that we've learnt, really, in the last couple of years at the Jack and Star as well, which has been a glorious thing to do. I love Rob Starr, who runs that club. He's just a wonderful man. And actually being in partnership with him gave us space and time to hone our craft and get it really right and really know how to deliver consistently beautiful food that is true to us. Because I think that 
you know, I'm self-taught. So being a good cook at home is one thing. Learning how to be a chef and to deliver food that meets your customers' requirements, but also you can give your own creative flair to is another thing entirely. So bringing all those things together, I've learned so much in the last four years, I would say. I'll show you, do you want to have a look? Yeah. It's a proper good hood, Stokey Trent Street. And I just feel like it's a perfect size. It's sort of small, but perfectly formed, don't you think? It's got so it's a gorgeous cool. little garden. We don't have to do too much to we it. We don't have to do too much. I'm just going to turn it up a bit. It's a little muted for my liking. <laughs> bit farrow and ball. It's a bit farrow and ball. The devil is in the detail. You know, when you go out, sometimes you get something and it's everything's lovely and then the, the, the service is annoying or the drinks aren't right or there's just the lighting's too bright. So we're just trying to think of every little detail and I think that's the beauty of it all being ours. Actually, look, I'm oh. so excited. Do you know I've never bought anything before? I'm 53, I've never bought anything. I don't own a house. I bought a car once. <laughs> So this is a really big deal well, for me. Thank you. Oh, I'm really quite exciting. teary about it. I asked her what's going to be on the menu at Andy's. The really lovely pressed ham hock with little crispy salt and vinegar potatoes and like a pea and parsley little velouté sauce that you pour in around the edge with lovely parsley on the top. It's absolutely lovely. I've got a mujadera, so I'm going to use frique lentils, loads of parsley, roasted onions, tomatoes and garlic. That's the base. And then slow-cooked lamb neck with oregano and sort of Greek herbs and a green chilli oregano oil. So a bit Levantine, bit Greek, bit, bit of everything. everything. Everything that makes me happy. And the first small plate dish is going to be like a scallop ceviche with a green chilli and uh, lime chervil. So there'll be lots of small things, things in the middle and beautiful. My niece, who's the most brilliant patissier chef, her name's Phoebe Oliver, she used to cook at Rita's, which was in Dawson. She did all their pies and cakes, and she's just a genius. She's our pastry chef, and she's an inspired, dirty individual. <laughs> she, makes, she makes things, you think, oh, no! No, and then you have it anyway. And I'm just really proud of it already. Oh, I can feel your I excitement. Really it really I do, is I just feel it's wonderful. Just, it's like my next big love affair. Look, and Edgar Allan Poe went to school here. Oh, my God. He was evil. <laughs> now, this is the best time of year to eat a particular kind of Norwegian migratory cod called scray, according to Michelle Rue Jr. Radio 2's Nigel Barden went to find out why and found Michelle himself on a trawler off the northern Norwegian coast. I'm on the good ship Shaskar and uh, there's a fisherman dangling his rod. It's Michel Roux Jr. And uh, Michel, where are we? <laughs> uh, we're just outside of uh, Tromso, uh, Sommeroy to be precise. I don't know if I've pronounced that properly. And uh, we're fishing for scray cod. Well, tell us a bit about scray. Well, scray is a migratory fish, uh, a cod, uh, and it's very, very lean and, and delicious flesh. Um, and it's only in season during the months of uh, January all the way up to normally end of April. And it's um, exceptional quality, but it's what's wonderful about it, I think, is that it's, it's revered in this part of Norway. Uh, and it's, uh, it's part of, a, um, it's, it's part of their, their fabric and part of their life. And how are they normally caught? Well, line... Uh, and uh, there's quotas, and they have to reach a, a standard to be called a scrape cod. Yeah. This is a remarkable part of the world. I mean, it, it's a beautiful day. The sun's up, which is pretty rare. This time of year, it hasn't come up very often, but it's beginning to now. Uh, and we're lucky the weather is actually pretty clement. But fishing is absolutely, it, it's, in, it's the lifeblood of this area. 
It certainly is. I mean, it, it, you know, they, they depend on fishing and uh, they respect the seas. And, uh, and, and we do eat a remarkable amount of Norwegian uh, fish and shellfish in Britain. That, that's right, yes. I mean, uh, the, you know, cotton chips, obviously. Uh, that's where the, the bulk of the cod goes. Uh, but, uh, but I think scray cod especially is the kind of cod that you can do great classic dishes. You know, cod uh, à la bourguignon, for example, just my French heritage there. Uh, but but there's, there's loads of different ways that you can cook with cod. Yeah. And, and this is, I mean, you've been here in the summer as well. I mean, it is a great destination part of the world, which many British people would not have been to. That's right. I mean, I've, I've been here several times. Uh, I've, I've actually run the uh, the Tromso Marathon as well. So, uh, and that's the Midnight Sun Marathon. You you, you start running at ten and uh, and run through the night, and it's broad daylight. So it's it's quite quite fun. Um, but also come here for pleasure, uh, and it's a beautiful place to visit and uh, great seafood too. So. Yeah. But not just seafood, actually. They have they have great uh, cheese as well, which is you know you don't think of Norway as being a, a cheese pro- you know, producing cheese. Um, great lamb, uh, moose, obviously. Great for foraging. Amazing foraging wild mushrooms and uh, berries, such as cloud berries, and uh, it, it's just a, a you know a wonderful place. The number one cheese in the world recently was Kraftkar, a Norwegian blue cheese, which sounds like some dodgy Monty Python uh, Norwegian blue sketch, but it's a fantastic <laughs> blue cheese from an old Viking village. Well, there you go. See, I didn't know yeah, that. And, uh, and the nomadic Sami tribe who, who moved between parts of Norway and Finland. It, it is, it's like a lamb that time forgot. It is almost that. You're right. And, uh, and the traditions still uh, carry on. Uh, and later on today, we're going to be trying one of their... their dishes which celebrates uh, the new season of cod uh, and it is literally just poached cod cod liver cod stomachs uh, a few potatoes and chopped onion and that is it well washed down with a little bit of local brew no doubt yeah. and one thought, they do actually eat every bit of course of it if you get these lovely beasts you know the, the tongues the cheeks every element yeah, there is no waste, uh, and that's the way it should be. You know, uh, everything is used, uh, that, you know, from the head to the tail of the cod, including the, um, including the, the, the tripe or the intestines, uh, and, and that's that's the way it should be. Your reel is, is going out with, with great gusto, but <laughs> any joy yet? <laughs> Not yet. Uh, there, there's been a couple of small cod caught on the ship, but um, no big ones as yet. Right. Well, plenty of time. I'll leave you to it, fisherman. Uh, Rue, but uh, great to see you. Thank you for letting me track you down (laughs) off the uh, gorgeous Norwegian coast. And if you'd like a chance to meet Michel Rue Jr., he's hosting an exclusive dinner with Delicious to celebrate the 50th anniversary of his restaurant, Le Gavroche. See the out now March issue of Delicious magazine for details. Now, there's nothing quite like a food memory to take you right back to your childhood. And in this double helping of nostalgia, we meet Simone Bonner at the set in Brighton and Eric Landlard, a cake boy in London, to find out what kind of memories they're stirring up for their customers. First, the man who's making waves in Brighton with his Midnight Munchies signature dessert. This is the cereal milk panna cotta, so quite similar to what you'd see in New York at the Mamafuku with the cereal milk bar, kind of use that concept, that idea, and this is the first recipe we ever created at the set, which is cereal milk panna cotta. So what we do is infuse uh, cereal into milk and cream to make the panna cotta base. Uh, when we are doing this, we kind of looked at trying to do interesting ways, we kind of made our own cereals and, and looked at the best ways, but it wasn't nostalgic enough for us, so what we did is we actually ended up using crunchy nut cornflakes 
and uh, Cheerios because that's that's the taste of childhood for us. You know, and that's, that's what, what people love, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's why it's so familiar. Because if we started creating our own concoctions, then you'd see it. it just it wouldn't have that nostalgia to it. So what we've done is in a cereal bowl, we kind of set that panna cotta mix. Uh, so it is the taste of the milk you drink at the bottom of the bowl. It's uh, it's real good fun. Uh, and on that, we put some homemade sugar puffs. So this is um, is like dehydrated spelt. So we cook the spelt grain uh, and then puff it up like you, much you would uh, puff rice in, in hot oil after slightly dehydrating. And on the top of that, we put some granola. So this is all layering on top of the panna cotta. It creates texture, creates crunch, uh, and it gives that, um, that element of depth. Otherwise, it's just a, a, a panna cotta, which can be a bit boring. Then we put on there, which is this uh, dehydrated milk foam. Now, this is uh, milk and glucose whipped to like you would a cappuccino. You take the froth off and put it into dehydrate, and you get these really, really crunchy milk crisps which go onto the panna cotta as well so again you're getting you're getting that those cereal textures cereal flavors but in um a more elevated and restaurant style dish rather than the two o'clock in the morning munchies absolutely yeah home, home from the club uh and then last thing we put is milk ice cream this is um made using condensed milk and milk so it's, it's kind of Again, it's quite nostalgic because it's got the taste of uh, mini milk on there as well. So it's, it, it, for me, it's that, that taste of childhood, definitely. Uh, and then for you to do a little... So we're learning a lot about your childhood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, late night bowls of cereal because that's all I was allowed to snack on because it's semi-healthy as a kid. Yeah, and I mean, 10 years ago, you would have called that very Heston Blumenthal, wouldn't you? But these days, people are really used to experiencing the kind of taster menu that you've got on food is fashion you know in in, in the sense it moves very quickly uh, stuff can go out of date quite quickly and i think we're really helped in the industry by lots of food programs are on at the moment and people see these interesting combinations on tv with chefs going on things like great british menu and master professionals and people are really sort of opening up to these interesting ideas and experiences and they're sort of coming to restaurants with a more open mind about different flavor combinations and, and a more a stronger element of trust open kitchens now is a real big thing as, as food moves forward um, so there's no secrets nowhere to hide in a kitchen now uh, there's also that theatre of food I mean it's wonderful yeah. watching your guys kind of create right by your table we started um, doing pop-up restaurants and every time we did one we kind of brought the kitchen out into the dining room to, to for us it's nothing better as a chef than watching somebody eat your food it's, I've worked in so many kitchens where you hit out the back or downstairs uh, and it's really important to get that customer feedback as a restaurant owner like to be able to see customers and, and get that feedback and it helps you grow it helps grow for the restaurant You're not relying on just word of mouth you can actually talk to customers and, and see it happening um, for us it's, it's never been better it, it, it makes the chef's work cleaner <laughs> it's, yeah. it's made me a better chef being in an open kitchen because you're more methodical you're cleaner you're, you're more efficient you work more um, systematically I think it's, it's a win-win all around for me yeah. Now it's just past breakfast time. There's some cereal on the table. I'm going to try some of that. Dive in. I need a spoon. So I'm going right into the bottom. You can hear the crunch on the top. It gives you that texture, a layer of texture. Oh my god. That is sensational. It's good fun, isn't it? oh. Eric Landlar says his cake boutique in southwest London is inspired by the patisseries of his childhood in Paris. But he tells Delicious Magazine's Phoebe Stone that it was his mother's penchant for our own afternoon teas that he remembers most. 
But my mum was um, and she's still completely anglophile, so um, she loved everything that was British. Um, she had subscription to British magazine, even if she could not read um, um, English or speak English. But she just loved looking at all the pictures and all the pretty china and um, and everything that was British. So, and um, one of the things she used to do in the summer when we were on uh, on school holiday, uh, living from Brittany, we had a lot of fair ferries. So we used to cross over to um, to England on uh, on the overnight ferries, and it wasn't glamorous. It was like a proper car ferries. It wasn't going on a cruise or anything like this. And we would usually arrive very early morning um, somewhere in Portsmouth or Plymouth, and then jump straight in on a tour bus and end up in the middle of nowhere, which she would have read in some guide or something, for um, having afternoon tea. But I remember once we went somewhere, and um, as we were having afternoon tea, my dad looked. And he not just, and he just said, "Look, look, look!" And we turned around, and it was a guy watching television. And we actually realized we were in someone's proper house, and they were just doing afternoon tea for, um, you know, for tourists. And uh, so it was quite, uh, it was quite interesting. So about my first introduction to, um, to uh, a proper afternoon tea, and uh, and looking back, they were proper afternoon tea as well. They were what you expect to see in the countryside: the proper homemade scone, the clotted cream the finger sandwiches and everything like that. I remember my dad not being too impressed with the, concubre, the cucumber sandwiches. And um, I'm still not a fan of cucumber sandwiches. I still don't know what's that all about anyway. But uh, it's part of the, the tradition, so, which is good. And do you remember a moment when you really fell in love with food when you thought, this is what I want to do? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was, um, uh, it's always been about the, the cakes. And uh, it was really the trip, the, you know, religiously, almost religiously, every weekend we went to the pâtisseries. Uh, like most French family, on, on a Sunday, we would go to the local pâtisserie and buy some cakes. Mine was um, the, the shoe buns filled with whipped cream. My mum had the millefeuille. My dad had the eclairs. Um, if we had some guests, we would buy a larger cake. Usually you pre-order it. And, uh, but I was always the first one to put my hand up to, to say, OK, can I come? Um, and I remember being just fascinated by the presentation, the, the glamour behind it as well, because, um, you know, French pâtisserie look almost like jewelry shop. It's expensive. It's beautiful. The way they wrap it, the way they sell it to you, and um, it, you know, it's something which is really unique. And um, you know, you st- even today, when you know in London, where the food is changed so much, you still don't get that um, those kind of shops. You know, and, uh, maybe even Cake Boy here. It's um, we didn't try to make it like a French pâtisserie because it's um, you know it's something very unique that the French got in, in their blood. You know. If you had to think, what's your what would your last supper be? Your favorite meal? I love to be a tartata because that's my favorite dessert with a lot of creme fraiche on the side, just out of the oven with the juice flowing, the steam coming out. And uh, yeah, I would be, um, be ready to die. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com ready to pop the question the jewelers at blue have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Felicity Spector is a bit like a modern-day Clark Kent. Her day job is a writer at Channel 4 News, but out of the office... She's one of the most influential food Instagrammers in the country, with 41,000 followers. I caught up with her as she posted pictures of our lunch to find out how she got to be a judge at the British Pie Awards. Well, they actually asked me over Twitter, because I think I'd commented on what a fun job that would be. I already judged the Great Taste Awards, which I've been doing for almost 10 years, which um, happened almost by chance. I was interviewing some people and then they introduced me to the, the Guild of Fine Food. And it's just really good fun. It, you, not everything you judge is very good because anyone can enter. So sometimes it, it, but you, you make it funny. And pies, who doesn't love a good pie? So I was quite keen to give my expertise in the dessert pie arena, which they were quite happy about. You don't look like the kind of person who eats a lot of pie. There isn't that much opportunity. My mum, my poor late mum, used to make the most lovely pies. She was very, very good at pastry, all different kinds. And I grew up really looking forward, especially after Christmas, to the turkey and mushroom pie that she used to make. The year the cat ate it was a particular disaster, I have to say. But yes, I, I, I do enjoy pies, and there aren't enough of them around, I think. We're in the heart of old London here, the city of London. And, you know, this is where pie and mash is almost like an advert for old traditional London. It really is, and actually today I got an email from Quo Vardis, which is one of the you know the most revered institutions in Soho, and they do a daily pie, and it's so popular that now on Mondays they're going to be doing them fifty percent off. So, and they say it's all about the quintessential uh, experience of sort of comfort and sort of ele- elevating your spirits, which I think is, a, is a, can only be a good thing. Exactly. What makes a good pie? Well. I am no pie expert. I like eating them. I'm, I'm not the expert at making them. So I went round to ask some of the top pastry experts in London to get their opinion. And I started with Callum Franklin, who's the head chef at the Hope and Dining Room in London. Amazing, amazing guy. He does incredible work with pastry. And basically, he said that he, he tries to make a puff pastry, which he wouldn't give me the recipe for, uh, which varies um, according to the the wetness of the dough and he has also has very good tried and tested recipes for all sorts of other pastries and what he, he said was that if you don't want a soggy crust it's really important to chill the pastry and then to put cold filling in it before you bake it in the oven which is really interesting and he said then it won't the, the butter in the pastry won't start melting before you've started baking it and that's really important and he said no gap between the filling and the lid because that's just a chasm of disappointment which I think we would all feel and obviously we had to look at dessert pies and I went to um, one of my favourite, favourite bakers in London who's um, David Moonis from Outside a Tart I think we ate there last time we met um, what a lovely man and he is obviously American he's the pioneer of the fruit pie with the meringue top in London um, he's doing a brown sugar meringue at the moment because he's very, very obsessed with those um, he does lots of different pastries he even does one with nuts in it a nut crust which he's very excited about um, blind bakes it as well because with a fruit pie you don't want the soggy filling to kind of make the base all wet um, and he, he says he, he likes making a, a double crust pie as well with a, a pie lid and he said um, 
no one wants a, a skimpy fruit pie that's like wrapping a small present in a giant box. He's a lovely guy. He always comes out with a great quip. But he, he does the most wonderful Thanksgiving pies as well. I, I went to their dinner that they, they put on at Thanksgiving and there's a, a pecan pie, pumpkin pie, and then a giant mile-high apple pie, which is all served with whipped cream, of course, on the side. Fabulous. Now tell us when the awards are going to be. Well, the awards are out on the 8th of March. Well, that's when we do the judging, anyway. And um, it's uh, in Melton Mowbray, which is the home of the pork pie. And there are all sorts of categories. So you have to judge a particular category. So some people have to judge pork pies all day, or steak pies, or chicken pies. Or, and this year they've got, for the first time, the regional pie. So they can include all sorts of interesting regional variations that you might not see elsewhere in the country, which should be quite interesting. I'm going to be doing the dessert pies, so I'm expecting a lot of apple in my, in my future. But you can actually get some really good high street offerings if you don't want to make your own. Marks and Spencer's, for instance, has brought up a mac and cheese pie this week, which has a, a bacon crumble topping, which they say is the ultimate in, in comfort food. Um, and another really good one is the Northern Pie Company, which it's a former policeman from Manchester started that one up, and they've won all sorts of awards. Uh, and they're absolutely amazing. The pie crust is so thin, but just holds together. And it's got really interesting fillings and... and Pie Minster as well, if you want one that's available in lots of uh, supermarkets. I mean, they started out just in Bristol, and now they're, they're across the country. And I think they're very good at doing the vegetarian ones. So if you don't want a, a classic meat pie, they do a wild mushroom one, which has won quite a lot of awards, including the Vegetarian Society one. Do you make a good pie yourself? I do a good pumpkin pie. Actually, this year I did Dominique Ansel's recipe with a, a gingerbread sable crust and a pumpkin custard, which was, took a while to make, I have to say, but it was, it was very delicious when it finally came out, which I was quite happy about. And in a glimpse behind the scenes of Delicious magazine, Susan Lowe talks to editor Karen Barnes about what they love best about the March issue. It's always hard to choose between the features in the magazine because this is one of those ones that I looked at it on the wall. We have all the pages of the magazine arranged in page order on the wall so we can see what they look like. And I was looking at it last week and thinking I wanted to make about 20 of the recipes because there are so many of them that are stonking recipes this month. I think probably my favourite one of all is a recipe by Rachel Allen for a lemon drizzle golden syrup cake. You can't say that and not want to eat it straight away, really. And uh, it's also got ginger in it, which, for me, made it a winning recipe. It is honestly the nicest cake I've had in such a long time. And it works as a pudding, too. The book is all about uh, how the influences of her Icelandic mother have been profound on her, but also uh, uh, Darina Allen, who is her mother-in-law at Ballymaloo Cookery School. And we also did some interviews with chefs and food writers. My favourite um, was Jotam Ottolenghi, because I consider him, he's a, a demigod, or maybe even a god in my mind. Mm-hmm. And for anyone to sort of denigrate his cooking is pure sacrilege but his his comment his his quote was from his mum and he says when I try to help my mum in the kitchen her standard reply is no thank you it's hard enough doing it myself (laughs) pretty priceless but also I love Sophie Grigson's mother's advice Uh, her mother was the revered food writer Jane Grigson and um, her mother suggested that she saw something on a menu that she didn't know or hadn't had before she should try something new and that's actually something I've always done if ever I see something different to eat I will always try it once it does mean that you end up trying some pretty rank things sometimes for this month for the first time we have uh, a new column by Julian Bagini and 
we're calling him our kitchen philosopher. He's going to be writing for us every month, isn't he? Yes. And the first column is quite thought-provoking because it's all about when was the last time you felt genuinely hungry because we live in times of plenty when we're surrounded by shops full to bursting with food of all different kinds, too much choice. Uh, Really, most of the time we have everything we need to eat all the time at our fingertips. And so it's quite a challenge um, remembering that we are incredibly fortunate. It is actually good to feel proper hunger, hunger, which is why fasting was such an important part of, of every, every culture and every religion. So it is very thought-provoking. It's a great article. It's thought-provoking, and he makes the point that you can really only enjoy, have true satisfaction in enjoyment when you've known the feeling of denial and need. And I think that applies to many things in life. Now to our series about the delicious readers who are trying to change the world through food. This month, we meet Vicky Radke from East Sussex, who decided to turn her B&B into a pop-up restaurant to raise money for the children of Aleppo. I asked her why. I was cooking dinner one day and just listening to the news, and it was all about Aleppo and people being bombed. And I was just thinking about my two boys who were coming home from school and college, and somewhere in Syria, somebody else who's my age, who got boys who might not come home and who might be blasted out of their kitchen at any point in time. And I sort of then thought, just so lovely to get loads of people together. And we all sort of celebrate food all over the world. You know, I always think of sort of Syrians as being very, very sociable with food, and, um, and it just seemed to me a good idea. With all the strange events that have been going on this last year or so, um, and our whole world has changed completely, um, and I sort of felt that we, a lot of us feel very helpless, and I think that we shouldn't be pessimistic, we should be optimistic, and that is by doing things ourselves. Um, and taking back a little bit of control in whatever you can do. So we all have sort of causes, perhaps, or things that we feel strongly about. Um, and rather than just feeling strongly about them, I think you can now do something about them, whether it's, you know, doing a, doing a pop-up restaurant. Anything that you feel can... that you're not a useless individual. We're all very useful. And, and the setup here, I mean, you run a bed and breakfast, so you've got this wonderful space. But there's, what, about 25 people here? Yeah. And it is a pop-up. I mean, even though we're in the middle of nowhere... Yes, uh, indeed. Um, a lot of people have come quite a long distance to come and join it tonight. Yeah. How will you raise funds? Well, we're basing it on um, Programme Four in a Bed, where at the end of people's stay, they pay the price they feel their stay was worth. And so we're doing the same thing here and asking people to just pay what they feel their evening was worth, including the food, the ambience... Um, and whether they've had a nice time and all the profits will then go to the um, Syrian crisis appeal. We've got a, a sort of mezzo of, of mixed dip to start with, roasted tomatoes and flatbreads and that sort of thing. And then for the main, we've got um, we've got Imam Bayaldi, which is an aubergine stew. We've got um, a well-marinated chicken tagine and we've got beef. You've been marinating this for three days? Yeah. In what? I think it's got ginger, it's got cumin, it's got coriander, it's got paprika, um, olives, lemons, lots of garlic, lots of herbs, um, and some local chicken. There's uh, couscous, green herby couscous, there's um, 
paprika, which is rather nice, new to me. Um, and then we're following that with a Turkish delight posset with fennel seed shortbreads. We should say that you and your husband Dave are actually inveterate cooks. You have run your own restaurants in the past and you run a bed and breakfast, of course. So you are cooking for the public. I'm just thinking about the listener thinking, oh my God, that was such a great idea, but I can't cook like that. No, I'm a home cook, Julie. We dabbled in restaurant cooking, but luckily we had chefs. And um, it's been jolly scary doing this, but I've enjoyed myself for a couple of days just slowly cooking and then shouting this evening. (laughs) And Vicky donated the £620 raised that night to the British Red Cross's Syria Crisis Appeal. Thanks for listening to the March edition of the Delicious Magazine podcast. Don't forget to rate and review it on iTunes. And if you'd like to hear it as soon as it goes live, subscribe for free on the podcast page of the Delicious website, deliciousmagazine.co.uk. And thank you for your hundreds of nominations for the 2017 Produce Awards. Entries have now closed, but listen out for the results later in the year. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.